Hey, thanks so much for joining us for another episode of the Tree of Life Church podcast. It's our prayer that these messages help connect you to the life, love, and power of Jesus. All right. Hey, amen, amen. All right, get your Bibles out, everybody. We are going to take a look. You can turn to Genesis for me. We're going to take a look today. We're in our Family Life series. I love it doing this today because it's part of the family. I, I want to let you guys know that uh, today we're also, you can get some information out there, starting a, a fundraiser for our students. We have a summer camp coming up. You saw kind of a highlight there on Tree TV. There's four or five or six different churches that are going to participate with us that we're able to put together. And we're investing in the next generation. And so we're excited about what God's going to do in and through our young people. A great place to make an investment. Uh, last week, we kind of looked at the, I called the, 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 the message family portrait. We're taking a look in the scripture to see what God's plan for the family is. And I know that that's, a, that's kind of a tough topic. Today, we're going to talk about marriage. And I didn't tell anybody ahead of time because I wanted you to come back. And, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's topics in the scripture that you don't want to necessarily, hey, next week, if we were to say, hey, we're going to start a series next week on the baptism of the Holy Spirit with speaking in tongues. I don't know who would come back, right? Hopefully everybody, because it's so important and we need to, and we believe that here at Tree of Life, and we will teach that soon. Um, I talk about a series on tithing. I don't know who would come back. Right, although tithing is so important for everybody, and that's God's financial plan, and so God has amazing things in the Scripture. But there's some things that seem to be like under attack. They seem to be a bit controversial. World has gotten in and infiltrated, kind of, kind of taking what God meant for good and trying to turn it around and copy it or abuse it or make it unattractive. Well, this is a topic today that can be found in that category. It can be kind of hard. And I understand that because I know the dynamic of marriage today is different than it was 10 years, 20 years, 50 years ago. I think about when my grandparents were married and, and used to, you could turn on the TV and you could watch shows way back in the day that would even support the values of marriage, et cetera. You can't find that necessarily today. In fact, if you're thinking about marriage, don't turn the TV on. <laughs> you won't necessarily get the picture. Although I know that, that today there's a whole lot more options that the world has created and I don't mean ever to speak anything that would make you feel condemned, that it's not the heart and spirit, that would be the enemy, not your pastor, not the word of God. I do let the word speak for itself, and as a pastor, I need to bring you the truth of God's word. And I want to encourage you this morning, this is not a hard, because some of us come from broken marriages, some of us are wanting to be married and are not married, some of us are living as married and aren't, and there's so many things the world says that you can do and so acceptable, and so the message today is simply like, I just want to let you look at what God's plan was. So wherever you are in your journey, you know that God is still God and he is still good and he loves you and he is good for you. There's no judgment or condemnation here, amen? But there's hope and opportunity in the things of God. There's redemption and restoration, amen, in the things of God. And so we'll give you something to attach your faith to. If you're not married, especially attach your faith to something. If you are, then believe God for. And so I want to share some things in, in, the, in the scripture. And the first thing I want to share is God loves marriage. God loves marriage. He never gave up his love for marriage. He, he never meant for it to be what it looks like it is today. God has an idea and a purpose for marriage. God created marriage. Can I say that right out of the gate? And immediately in the story of creation, God created marriage. And so it's important for us to look at what God has to say because marriage works best when you follow God's plan. And I want to say it this way this morning. Marriage works best when each person is head over heels in love with God. Each person is head over heels in love with Jesus. No, I want to be head over heels in love with my spouse. Well, good luck. <laughs> I mean, it's not always that day. You know, I, I, we do. I know. I'm, you're right, honey. I'm head over heels every single day. <laughs> and <laughs> oh, forgive me, forgive me. And uh, no, I'm just kidding. The reality is life gets in there. And we're not talking about feelings or emotions. We understand that. But really, if you're head over heels in Jesus, you will have that unconditional love extended into your spouse. 
That's really the only way it comes. And if you're married, then you want your, other, your, your spouse to be that way. If you're looking to get married, you need to look, you need to be head over heels in love with Jesus. You need to look for somebody that's head over heels in love with Jesus, not somebody that you hope can, you can get them there. <laughs> we don't believe in missionary dating, right? <laughs> I want to win them to the Lord. Well, good luck with that. They may say yes to Jesus, so you'll say yes to them, and then they go back to their old ways. But some of us have come to the Lord later in life, and we've already been married, and I understand that, and there's things that I believe also are for you today, so don't anybody check out, please, whether you're online, uh, it's easier to flip over to Joel Osteen, it's not going to be as good there as it is here, I just want to tell you that, and uh, because I believe God has a word right for all of us today. So a lot of things going on in our world today, and again, I wanted to start with God loves marriage. Marriage is God's. It is not the, uh, there's not a political party that has an anchor hold on marriage, there's no part of the country or people group, there's no certain segment of our culture that has any ownership on marriage. God created it. God started it. Everything we'll talk about, God came up with. It's his idea, not anybody else's idea. He loves it, and he loves what it looks like. In fact, I believe God thinks about marriage all the time. Why do you think that? Because we're his bride. He uses the description of the marriage relationship with God and the church. The church, we are the bride. We are the bride of Christ. He's coming back again for his bride, and he's thinking about his bride all the time. He's thinking about you, and he's thinking about your marriage, and he's thinking about it all the time because marriage is so wonderful, so beautiful, so important to him. He loves marriage and is forever thinking about it. You may not be, but he is. Now, let me say one other thing this morning. There is a case that you see in Scripture for scriptural and biblical singleness, and it's beautiful. And I know that sometimes these can be difficult messages because of desires and wants or things that are beyond your control sometimes, expectations unmet. But there is a, a biblical basis for that. It's beautiful. We don't want anyone here to ever feel marginalized or left out because they're not necessarily in the picture that we're painting at the moment. So if there's a, a path that God leads you on in that way, then always following God and being led of the Lord is a good thing, is a beautiful thing, and God can use you in that. But today we're talking about marriage and how important it is to him. And so when it comes to marriage, God thinks about a union that is powerful. Unity is powerful and is beautiful and unstoppable. I want, to, I want you to see a couple things this morning in time that we have. Number one, God has a plan. God has a plan. I think we get caught up in the world's plan and the things that the world is doing. Don't forget that God has a plan for marriage. All these other things are happening, and it seems like it's changing all the time and being legislated differently and all that stuff, but God has a plan. God is the one that created all this relationship idea, and he has a plan. We'll take a look in Genesis 2, 24, says this. Genesis 2, 24, says this. Here's his plan. That, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. He is united. Can we just stay on 24 for a minute, guys? He's united. His plan is to leave your father and mother and be united. His plan is for unity. God's plan is always for unity. His plan is always for unity in a family. We talked last week about that. His plan is for unity in a marriage. His plan is for unity in a church. His plan is for unity in a city, a, a nation. His plan is for unity. So God's plan is unity, to be united. He create, God had just, in this story of creation, God had just a few scriptures ahead of time, had just created a woman and brought her to man. Just a few a few pages, first pages into the creation story, we see this unfold. He brings a man and a woman together. Can I just say, in God's plan, there was no other option? He creates a man, then he creates a woman, and then he brings them together in marriage. He did not create another option. Not God's plan. Just want to say that in love. And he did it so he can bring them together in unity. Uh, she has a particular role because right 
You'll see in the scripture that he's, in this one right here, that they refers to the word wife. It's the first time wife is used in the scripture. Therefore, it is implied that the man then is the husband. Wife speaks to particular roles and responsibility. Husband speaks to particular roles and responsibility. But a singleness of purpose. Not sameness, because it's a man and a woman, a husband and a wife, but oneness. Meaning we can come together united even though we're different around a purpose. So it's not sameness, it's oneness around the purpose of God to be united and to become one flesh, one purpose, one heart or one heartbeat. Marriage is about melding two hearts together, making them one. And if your heart is beating for Jesus and their heart is not beating for Jesus, then it's hard to have one heart. So it's important to work those things out. We gotta fall in love with Jesus and we need a person to fall in love with Jesus as well. Unity is his purpose. They'll be one flesh. Look at what it says in Genesis 2, 25, the next verse. Adam and his wife, and this is interesting, I'll explain this as we go. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Interesting, we'll come back to that because another scripture will reword it. They are naked and unashamed. Later, they'll be naked and afraid, but right now they're naked and unashamed. Interesting. Hold on to that thought. Being transparent, being transparent, if you will, having nothing to hide and no guilt and no shame, if you will. God has a plan, and the plan of God is that man would leave father and mother. He would mature, stabilize mentally, emotionally, financially, and invite somebody into the purpose. And no, the plan was not for man to rule over the woman sitting in the recliner with the remote control, feet up. Up, barking orders. That was not the plan of God. The picture was man needed a partner because unity is the purpose. Man needs a partner, someone to unite with, and that's how we know this is so important. Adam was doing good on his own. He didn't know what he was missing. He's enjoying relationship with God. He's got dominion over the garden. He's working, doing what God asked him to do to take care of it. God starts bringing him all the animals. Adam's sitting there naming animals. He's doing great in that moment. And all of a sudden, God looked at Adam and said, I can do better. <laughs> no. Come on, ladies. I totally set you up. I teed it up and all you had to do. Anyway, so I was like, right, right there for you. Okay. And God said it was not good. That man should be alone. It wasn't like God just got some revelation all of a sudden, right? Think, huh, this isn't good that you're alone. I never thought of that. No, God always intended for marriage to be a part of that. God was thinking about Adam's marriage before Adam was even on the planet. Think about it. Before there ever was a woman or before there ever was Eve, God, was a, God, God had a plan already. He was thinking about the marriage, waiting for the right moment and while he was doing that, he was establishing some things in Adam, and so some things you and I can see about a man's first relationship, a woman's first relationship in life is with God. So he's establishing some things there. I believe God always created Adam with marriage in mind, but there's some roles and responsibilities and relationships he wanted to see established first. Before Adam ever knew there was marriage, before Adam ever knew there was women, before man knew anything except animal names, not much has changed. And uh, so God had a plan, a partner that would blow his mind and they would be incredible together. And God is saying that the plan is partnership. Partnership. Marriage is sacred and awesome and honorable in the eyes of God and part of his plan. That man would leave his father and mother and he would lead. Let me say this for a second. Going back a little bit to last week, he would lead. Man would lead. And we talked last week about a woman being a vine in Psalms 128. And a vine does three things. A vine clings. A woman needs something to cling to. God created her to, to, to attach itself to something. And that's why it's important for man to lead. A woman wants to attach herself to a direction. God created that. It doesn't say rule over. 
If you ask most women, I believe, would you, would you want your husband to lead you? I think most women say yes. If you, ask most, if you ask women, would you want your husband to rule over you? 100% would say no. <laughs> Somehow man's got that backwards a little bit. A partnership, but not leading from like, you say behind me, 10 paces or whatever. I'm gonna, it's a partnership together, but roles and responsibilities are a little bit different. But a woman needs something to cling to, therefore she can climb and cluster. You can go back next, last week's message. And I wanna encourage you, the second page of creation Culture doesn't understand this. Our culture is really all over the place when it comes to marriage. All you have to do is turn on the TV. I Googled a few things last night. You have to be really careful. And I want to tell you some reality shows. Married at first sight. Really? 90 day fiance? I mean, not even it was 900 day fiance. I'm not sure that that would entertain us right. Bachelor, bachelorette, dating around, dating game, date my mom. I thought that was funny. I'm mean, going to love that second service. My mom's here. Love is blind. Love Island, millionaire matchmaker. My father, most popular one is The Bachelor, The Bachelorette. Don't raise your hands, don't even comment. Nobody will know that you watch it. 25 seasons of Bachelor, 16 seasons of Bachelorette. It's the most popular. Few couples are still together. How it works, the end goal is marriage, but how it works is they, they get a bachelor, a man in this case, and the last one they did, I Googled it, they had 37 women they brought together and put them in a house. Can I tell you, just putting 37 women in a house got to be entertaining TV. I don't know that. It's like watching all that. But then the man's supposed to date them all. Date them all, like at the same time, and give roses and eliminate some and hurt feelings and spend time together and do things together and hang out together. Nine weeks. You have nine weeks to date all these women. At the end, you pick four and you get home visits. Like you get to go into someone's home and see her dad and say, hi, sir, I'm dating your daughter and three others. It's been really fun. And you spend time interacting. Then you narrow it to two. And there's always two. One everybody loves and one everybody thinks is a psycho. And it's just kind of how the show goes. And then... He tells one, down to two tells one, I had a great time, but I never really felt we connected, but, and then she's broken in tears, and one, he gets down on the knee and, and proposes to, and that, the end game there is supposed to be marriage. Most of them don't work out. Most of them crash and burn. Now, if you, and if you win, here's the interesting thing. If you win, the woman wins, the man wins with the woman, whatever that is, guess what happens Almost immediately after that, after you get together, you may or may not get married. Most don't. You crash and burn. But then at some point in time, you get to watch the season. Did you ever think about that? Come on, honey, let's sit down and get the popcorn around. The, the show's on, right? And so she gets to watch you with 37 women, right? Oh, that's what happened when the five of you went on the sailboat. You know, I was like, wait, 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 wait. You, that, you were with them. Wait, what happened on the commercial? They cut to commercial. What, you tell me what really happened there. And not only do you get to watch it immediately after, you get to watch the reruns over and over. And then if you do get married and you have kids, you got to not let the kids watch it. Dad, how come you with all these women? What did mom say? I don't know. <laughs> Let's turn the channel though. <laughs> and it's amazing. And we find that entertaining. The sad thing is one in 20 Americans watch that show. And I don't know, maybe it's because we feel a little bit better about our own life, you know, or whatever makes us feel better. I don't know. I don't know. But does anybody see a problem with that? But this nation can't get enough of that. Our culture can't get enough of that. And they're supposed to get married. The process by which they get to that point goes against everything God was dreaming about when he set the plan for you and I in motion. It goes against everything. Now let me say this. God loves marriage, and he never intended for it to be the world's entertainment. But he intended it to be for his enjoyment. And that's where we're missing it. 
See, how crazy is the world that we live in today? It wants to twist around the beauty and plans of God. God is a creator, and God creates, and he's a thoughtful creator. It's well thought out. You, nothing's missed, nothing's done wrong. Everything is created as it should be. He's a plan maker, and there's some foundational things he established, and culture is trying to sell us something different. His plan, a man leaves father and mother and is united with a wife, they're in one heart. The result is that they would be naked and not ashamed. They didn't have to spend their life watching reruns all these seasons. They didn't watch the reruns of their past. They don't have to watch it. The plan is beautiful and sacred, and we can spend time embracing the plan of goodness of God, or we can spend time trying to erase the plan. But as hard as we try, God's plan does not change. God's purpose stands forever. Amen. Now, we live in a world where We've created a lot of options to work around. There's a lot of workarounds of God's plan, the world that we live in. So you leave, so the Bible says to leave and cleave, God's plan is. And a lot of people say, well, let's, let's cleave before we leave. <laughs> you can do that, but that's not the plan. You can try and do it different ways. The culture keeps selling us all these options, all these workarounds. And the goal is to say for you and I, wow, God is an awesome creator. Why would I want to change what he created? So in the plan, it's beautiful. It's full of wholeness and power. Why would I want to erase the plan? Stick with the plan. That's the title of my message today. The plan was God, the creator, created a man and a woman and brought them together. That was the plan. The plan was not whoever meets whoever. That was not the plan. And very quickly in the garden, you see after this in chapter two, moving into chapter three, in fact, right after verse, chapter two, verse 25, the very next verse is chapter three, verse one, and it says, or begins this way, it says, now the serpent, the enemy came in and everything became broken. The enemy came in and everything was broken. In the brokenness, everything fell. You fell, I fell, everyone fell. I'm broken, you're broken, all of us have fallen. All of us are broken. We're short of the beauty of God's plan. We're broken people in a broken world. And that broken world has created all kinds of workarounds to the simple plan of God. But there's no way to erase God's plan. God's plan comes out of the goodness and pureness of his heart. There's no way to wash that away. God has a plan, and he's a good God, and it's a good plan. So embrace the plan that he set forth. And I'm a when I understand that I can take all my brokenness, I can take all my feelings, I can take all my struggling, I can take all my reasoning and all the things going on inside of me, and I can bring it to the God of the plan and say, I know this is the plan, and I know you know all that's going on within me, and I trust you to help me with the plan. Number two, first one is God has a plan. Number two, Jesus is the center of it. Jesus is the center God's plan. It's not him and it's not her. It's Jesus. Jesus is the center of the plan. In the garden, the central character in this moment was Jesus, not Adam and Eve. Really, your marriage is not about finding him or finding her. It's about finding Jesus. He's a central character in the story of marriage. Take a look at Genesis 3.21. 
Genesis 3.20, the Lord God made garments. Now listen to this. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Sin came in, as we said, the serpent came in in verse one in chapter three, and all of a sudden, uh, the man fell and sin comes into the world, and here's what God does. When Adam and Eve make a bad decision, all of a sudden, God comes immediately to find them. God is in pursuit of them, and God is looking for them because he has grace and mercy. He has mercy and help. Adam and Eve don't follow God's plan, but immediately God starts to move for them towards them with rescue and restoration. Verse 21 says that now they know, as it says, but leading up to this, now they know they're naked and they're ashamed and they're afraid because they hid from God, right? All joking aside. Well, over there, we already read in verse in chapter two that they were naked and unashamed, transparent, they had no regrets, no shame. Now, all of a sudden, something has come in and happened, and now the brokenness is there, and now they are naked and ashamed. But what does God do in that moment? God immediately moves towards them full of mercy, and then he finds an animal, and he sacrifices, or he sheds the blood of an animal, and he creates clothing, something to cover their shame. Is that not a picture of Jesus? Is that not what God did with his son? Sent him to the earth so his blood could be shed and so we didn't have to live with guilt and shame. We now then, our shame could be clothed with a robe of righteousness through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the central figure right here. When they fell, God brought his son, if you will, symbolically, and clothed them to cover their shame. Now, if God's making the garment, do you think it's like some kind of Fred Flintstone looking kind of thing, right? I don't know. Some kind of Tarzan loincloth? I don't know. But I bet it was good. I bet God knew what he was doing. I don't think Adam's like, yeah, this is, you know, maybe, maybe this is too big, or Eve was like, this is too small, right? Or whatever. I think it fit just right. I think it covered every bit of shame. Come on, somebody. And we could easily say, well, just be thankful you got something after what you did. But God doesn't say that, does he? And our, and our worst mistakes and the greatest shame that we've done things and made bad choices outside of God's will and God's plan, God comes immediately with mercy and says, I got something that will fit perfectly, that will cover every bit of shame that you have. Don't worry. I got it. I love that. So now, where you've been in life, if you're married or not, God's created something to cover your guilt and your shame. So you don't have to stand together naked and ashamed. I love that about our God, amen? No matter what's happened in the past, no matter what's happened in your marriage, no matter where you find yourself, God has created something that fit perfect for your situation. Not just part of it, all of it is covered. And you know what? Let me say it this way. It looks good on you. <laughs> it looks good on you. God looks good on you. The robe of righteousness looks good on you. You don't have to be ashamed. No matter what's happened. God's plan is if you made a mistake, I've created a robe of righteousness that fits perfect and looks good. It makes you look good. It makes you look clean. It makes you look whole. It makes you look washed white. Unashamed. I love that. Jesus is a central character because it is a type and shadow of Jesus. Jesus is the way maker. Jesus is the one that heals. Jesus is the one that restores. He's the one that heals the broken soul. You want to come together or be together and know because of the work of Jesus and the cross that therefore is no condemnation. There, 
therefore now is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Oh, I'm not perfect. I got a long way to go, but I'm on my way free from guilt and condemnation. So you need to be able to stand there and say that. They need to be able to stand there and say that. Me too. The most important person at your wedding and your marriage is not the bride, it's not the groom. It is the son of God. It is the sacrifice. That's the work we want to ask him to start in this time, married or not. That's the work we can ask him to start right here, right now. If married, you need to make Jesus the central character in your story. If not married, you need to make Jesus the central character in your story. He has something for you that neither you or they can provide, only he can, and it's freedom from guilt and shame. So you can stand there unashamed. You know, it says in Isaiah 61, I didn't put this in your notes, but you can turn there in Isaiah 61. He says it this way, he gives beauty where there were ashes. He gives you joy where there was mourning. He gives you a garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness. And it says this, instead of your shame, you will receive double portion and everlasting joy. I love that. That's what rescue and redemption looks like. And you might say, I'm, I'm going to have a dysfunctional future because of my past, but the one who is the center of God's plan says, you may feel like all you have are ashes, but I'll make them beautiful. You have no idea what I can make out of ashes. And you can say, so you can say the one in the center, center of God's plan has covered me in a beautiful garment, the very righteousness of God. I wrote it this way since we are talking about reality shows. You can say yes to the dress, or you can say yes to the robe of righteousness. Amen? I thought you might like that. That's good. God has a plan. Jesus is center, and here we're going to close with this one. You got to have the same core. If you're, if you're out there and you're not married, you're looking for Jesus first, and then everybody has to have the same core. If you are married, then you're, you're making sure that you're putting Jesus the center of your story and allow that to work in your relationship, but the rest, best relationships have the same core. You need to be linked up with the things of Jesus, to live for Jesus, to do the things of Jesus, have a heart for Jesus. The simple reality is that you're looking for a man or a woman who loves Jesus well, we got a lot in common. That's great. But do they love Jesus? Well, we come from the same town. That's great. But do they love Jesus? Well, we like the same music. They like the same foods. That's great. But do they love Jesus? Well, they go to church. Well, that's great. Do they love Jesus? Their dad's a pastor. Well, that's great. Do they love Jesus? That needs to be one of the first discussions. Right? I'm just going out for the first time. Why well, don't I bring that up? Why not? You want to get your emotions and feelings attached to somebody that doesn't love Jesus? And time will tell. They might say they do, but it'll show eventually. Are you saying that I have to break up with them? Well, stick to the plan. Stick to the plan. That might be, I say that gently, lovingly. Let me take a look at this last scripture. 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 16. says this. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Nothing. Because the reality is having something in common other than Jesus, you cannot build a life on. You can't build a life on things that are in common if it's not Jesus. You can only build a life on having Jesus in common. Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? None. What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Belial is the name for the enemy. In fact, the Greek, the word is Belial, B-E-L-I-A-R. That gives you an indicator of who that is. What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? None. What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? Nothing. 
What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? None. For we are the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. That has to be the core of each individual as you come together, because when that happens, then you can have the same heartbeat. Going back to our original scripture, united. United. Now, if you haven't experienced the walking down the aisle with somebody right now, that's what you're looking for right there. If you already have, and the situation is the situation, and maybe you came to Christ later, maybe one of you knows Jesus, one of you doesn't, then have this picture and hold it in your heart. Attach your faith to it. Confess it, speak it out, but do your part. Put God in the center of your life, of your story, amen? Trust God and take God and say, God, I know what the plan is, and I'm gonna bring you all my brokenness. I'm gonna bring you all, everything I have. I'm gonna bring it to you. And then you allow the God of miracles to move and work in your life. And you keep standing. Amen? You keep trusting God. Things get tough. God, I'm sticking to the plan. Things are hard. You don't think, God, I'm sticking to the plan. They don't look good, God, but I'm sticking to the plan. I'm going to keep you the center of my life. I'm going to keep you the center of my home. I'm going to do what I can in that. And just take it to God. Here's what I believe. That your house be a house of miracles. Amen. Thanks again for joining us this week. We pray that this message encouraged and inspired you. If you want to find out how you can be a part of Tree of Life, just go to our website, treeoflifechurch.org. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and share it with a friend.